I'm Carrie Antholis, the host of Jury Duty. I want to tell you about a special bonus season of our coverage of the trial of Robert Durst. Beginning next week and covering over 30 episodes, that's right, over 30 episodes, we will present a series of interviews that I conducted with John Lewin, the Los Angeles prosecutor who led the team that secured the conviction of Robert Durst for the murder of his friend, Susan Berman. Jury Duty, the Robert Durst Prosecutor Speaks, will cover the case from its very beginnings as John Lewin sought his boss's permission and the resources to take on the case. So he now calls me and he says, okay, you got what you want, you better win. And my response to him was, well, then you better start giving me the resources I've been asking for. Through his dramatic two and a half hour interview with Durst in a New Orleans jail. So I sit down with Bob and I realize that, you know, he's going to talk to me. And then I realized that true to form, what Bob does is, sometimes instead of lying, what Bob will do is Bob will, instead of saying, hey, I didn't kill Sue, he'll say, I don't want to talk about that. Through the pivotal moments in the proceedings. That was the domino that set everything up. Emily's testimony is what led to the stipulation that Bob wrote the cadaver note, that Bob found the body, etc. And that's what we wanted. We will also present Lewin's no-hold-barred comments on the defense attorneys who represented Durst, including Dick DeGaron. And Dick seemed to be in almost a state of shock that this guy was killing him. So, you know, I'll just go in one more time. And again, you know, a constant mistake by the defense. They thought they were the snake and the witness was the bunny. It was the other way around. And, and I don't know that Dick ever realized it. He got bitten so many times, there's nothing left of him. Join us beginning in August for Jury Duty, The Robert Durst Prosecutor Speaks, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last trial episode, we concluded our look at defense attorney Mark Richards' closing argument. On today's installment, we begin our look at prosecutor James Krause's rebuttal closing. That's coming up right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With Prosecutor Thomas Binger having played the central role in this trial for the prosecution, it is somewhat jarring to see James Krause rise to deliver the state's final word in the trial. Krause begins his rebuttal in a direct manner. It simply cannot be reasonable for someone to be holding an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle with powerful ammunition 
and be chased by someone who is unarmed, who's smaller than him, who's shorter than him. And the first thing that you do to defend yourself is you plug four rounds into it. You shoot it from about four feet away and not from four feet from Mr. Rittenhouse, four feet from the end of that gun. Your first shot immobilizes him. It shatters his hip. Then he's caused to go forward. And if you watch the videos and we're gonna watch a couple during this brief rebuttal, he crumples. He immediately crumples to the ground. No one is saying that Mr. Rosenbaum should have chased Mr. Rittenhouse. No one is saying that Mr. Rittenhouse did not have a right to defend himself. This case is about the right to use deadly force. And I want to talk about that standard because Attorney Richards, perhaps on accident, misstated it. He said that the standard is that it could cause death or great bodily harm to Mr. Rittenhouse or that it is likely to cause death or great bodily harm to Mr. Rittenhouse. That is absolutely not what the standard is, and that is not what this trial is about. The standard is, the defendant may intentionally use force, which is intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm, such as fire and AR-15, only if the defendant reasonably believed that the force used was, ne was necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself. Not, oh, if you repeatedly smash someone's face, it might lead to injury. Not, oh, this could have happened. Imminent death or great bodily harm. There's an old phrase that I could kill you with my bare hands. And there is literally no evidence that Mr. Rosenbaum was capable of that. Mr. Rittenhouse has size on him. We heard how he's a swimmer. We heard how he's a lifeguard. He's apparently in some kind of shape. Punch him in the face. Kick him in the testicles. Knee him in the face. Hit him with your gun. You don't just immediately get to shoot someone. And I don't care about provocation or any of that. Put that aside. It is not reasonable for any adult, for any person, for any 17-year-old male to not try and defend yourself first using other methods. Now you factor in provocation, the fact he had no right to retreat uh, or no, no ability to, or he had to retreat and that he had to exhaust all methods. Clearly, if there is provocation, he's guilty. But even outside of provocation, why do you get to immediately just start shooting? As Mr. Binger said, he brought a gun to a fist fight. And he was too cowardly to use his own fist to fight his way out. He has to start shooting. And let's just say, theoretically, that we think, that the 12 of you think that it is reasonable to have used force, deadly force in that situation. Shoots once, takes out his hip. What does Mr. Rittenhouse have to do to avoid that? Well, maybe take one step back. And Mr. Rosenbaum is no threat. And Mr. Rittenhouse is responsible for every round of that gun. It did not have to happen as fast as Mr. Rittenhouse made it happen. He could have held back at one shot. He could have held back at two shots. 
the guy in the blue hoodie who came in to ki- uh, attempt to kick him didn't get four shots. Mr. Rosenbaum didn't get four shots. And Mr. Gross-Kreutz did not get four shots. The defendant has the ability to gauge what he is doing and to stop shooting. Mr. Richards talks about the threat being immobilized. What threat to someone six inches shorter than you that you've already shot in the hip and is already falling to the ground have? Why do you have to keep tracking them and shooting them and ending up with a kill shot in the back? Hit them, kick them, knee them, anything else. And Mr. Rosenbaum and Mr. Rittenhouse are alive. Because the defense talks about games that the prosecution has played. Let's talk about games. Let's talk about how Mr. Rittenhouse on that night did not tell Dominic Black, did not tell Joanne Fiedler, did not tell anyone about this grabbing of the gun. Didn't tell anyone about, oh, I was afraid they were you use the gun against me. That is because once Mr. Rittenhouse and his team understood that an unarmed person chasing him and unarmed people chasing him later on would not be enough to meet this standard, to meet this privilege, they had to concoct a story. They had to concoct a story about how uh, suddenly I was in great fear of this gun being used. And if that's the real reason, why didn't Jason Lukowski know that? Why didn't Dominic Black know that? Why didn't Joan Fiedler know that? You darn well know if there was any evidence of the defendant saying that the night of, we would have heard about it. So, yes, Mr. Rosenbaum is four feet or so from the barrel of the gun. He gets shot in the hip. He begins to crumple. Now, remember, we did this demonstration when the doctor, when Dr. Kelly testified. This bullet entered here in the middle finger and came out here. This is how you grab something. I'm Mr. Rosenbaum trying to take this gun away. And this is how I'm going to do it with my hand turned uh, almost completely around and with apparently my fingers spread because these two don't get soot, uh, which may mean they were on the gun or outside of the path, and the other ones do get soot. We're not talking about injuries to the palm here. We're not talking about injuries like this or any kind of grabbing injuries. We're talking about either something accidental or completely defensive to knock that gun away as he's being shot just before he is killed on the third or fourth shot. Well, we're supposed to believe that Mr. Rosenbaum is Jason Bourne or John Wick or some other movie star hero who's capable of killing with his bare hands and deserved the treatment that he got from the defendant. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prosecutor Krauss next remarks on the personal nature of defense attorney Mark Richards' attacks on lead prosecutor Thomas Binger. Mr. Richards' closing 
was quite personal. If not taking shots personally, Mr. Binger, it was gloating and boasting about his client's kills. And he talked a lot about the Zeminskis. He knows darn well that the Zeminskis are charged by my office and they have a Fifth Amendment right. This is a criminal defense attorney. Stop. 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 Let me ask you to step out for a moment, would you? Once the jury leaves the courtroom, Mark Richards initially objects that Krauss is inaccurate in asserting that Kelly Zeminski can assert a Fifth Amendment right. Schrader sustains the objection, and when the jury returns, Krauss tries to clarify, but immediately draws another objection. Ms. Zeminski was charged and convicted by my office. Mr. Zeminski still has pending charges. Attorney Richards knows that he has a Fifth Amendment right to not testify. Um, Let me ask you to step in the library again, please. Again, the jury leaves the courtroom and Richards renews the objection. One, it's not in evidence. Two, if he wants to say he has a Fifth Amendment right, they also grant him immunity. They're the only people who can. And if they're going to say that, I should have a server bottle to explain it to those 12 people. They hold the keys to Mr. Zeminski testifying or not testifying. We just heard two hours of how terrible Joshua Zeminski was and the defense wants us to offer him immunity. That's completely our decision. Mr. Krause, please. Richards refocuses the debate on the propriety of Krause referencing Joshua Zeminski's Fifth Amendment rights. It has nothing to do which is what I'm objecting to and bringing that into this. You're making it sound as if, well, you're making it sound, and correctly so, that Mr. Zeminski is unavailable um, because of his testimonial privilege. But uh, now Mr. Um, Richards is asking whether he should be allowed a surrebuttal to, uh, so the jury would understand that that is somewhat under the control of the district attorney. But I'm not going to, at this point, I'm not going to get further into that. I'm just going to ask you to move on to something else. Well, my next line of argument is that the defense named their, named them in their witness list and could have called the Zeminskis. No, we no, can't because he's got a Fifth Amendment privilege for the very reason you indicated. And privileges must be claimed as much as possible outside the presence of the jury. That's the statute. They, they could have called Kelly Zeminski. They admitted her here from prison. So, uh, pardon me? We had to have her available in case something came up. That doesn't mean we have to call her. We have no obligation to put anybody on the witness stand. Nor does the state. And Mr. The state is- Mr. Richards commented many times about how we could have called them, which I think was dishonest given the Fifth Amendment issue. But then also I can call, I can mention that when he stood up and read his witness lists, the Zeminskis were on it and they have the ability to call them as well. The witness list is not in evidence. Well, I think I'm just going to tell the jury that Mrs. Zeminski was, uh, would have been available for call, to be called by either party. Okay? Bye. Bye. Judge Schrader remedies Krauss's statements by referencing only Kelly Zeminski's availability in his guidance to the jury and ignoring Krauss's remarks regarding the Fifth Amendment privileges of Joshua Zeminski. As he resumes, Krauss returns to the defense characterizations of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's statements. 
Mr. Richards also mentioned that attorney Binger talked about how all these people are liars and he was being acting like a whiny defense attorney. I don't know why that language had to be used, but Mr. Binger never said any such thing. He never called anyone a liar, except for perhaps Mr. Rittenhouse. And Mr. Richards talks about how, well, in the state's opening, you heard nothing about provocation. Mr. Richards knows that is a specific thing, that instruction we get from the judge at the end of the trial. Had we mentioned at the beginning, he would have objected. He would have objected. <laughs> now let's talk about this threat, this supposed threat. Mr. Richards talked about that gas station and showed the video and it showed Mr. Rosenbaum at the end. Attorney Binger had said he's not in this video as it started and you don't hear anything from him. And that is true. At the very end, he is seen standing quite a bit away from Mr. Balch and Mr. Rittenhouse. This is where that supposed threat happened. There's a distance between them. Next time the camera pans back, the protesters are pushed back and you never hear this threat. You hear nothing. And Mr. And apparently that is what the defense is accepting is where the threat happened. Although Mr. Rittenhouse actually does not accept that because he said it, it happened a block or two north. So they can't agree on when the threat took place. They can't agree on where the threat took place. And it's the only few seconds of that part of the night that is not on tape anywhere. It's another concoction to give credence or to give weight that, oh, he had to defend himself against an unarmed man. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next installment as Prosecutor James Krause concludes his rebuttal closing argument and Judge Bruce Schrader hands the fate of Kyle Rittenhouse over to the jury. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.